Welcome to Hockey Press Pass, presented by Instat Hockey, the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village, and by HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Folks, go to HelloFresh.com slash PressPass16 and and use code PRESSPASS16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. It's Pat LaFontaine, Ziggy Palfi, PRESSPASS16. For the second of a two-part show, part of our finale for Hockey Press Pass and Islanders Forecheck, we are taking your questions, Lou throwing in a few more of his own that you've sent in about my time at the Islanders, careers, things like that, insider stories that could be told that I'm comfortable telling. And we are now back at it. Thanks so much for the questions. We had a great first show. And now let's see if we could finish this one up strong, Lou. Thanks for doing this. Oh, no problem. I enjoy it. There's there's few things in life I enjoy talking about more than uh, the New York Islanders. <laughs> so this is actually fun. Yeah. All right, let's get right into it. You know, it's funny. A lot of these questions on... <laughs> From the last episode and this episode, some of them talk about the dark years a lot more than they do the glory years. Someone wants to know about the Gluckster and Milstein years, who, when they got to the Islanders, they rode in like white knights, and then they showed their true colors by trying to put out a discount bin product. Are the payroll stories true about trying to put a $5 million payroll team on the ice? Yeah, it's all true, and in defense of the fans, uh Thankfully, like they, they know my timeline. I didn't work for the dynasty. I can always talk someday about uh, getting to know those players and the retired number nights and their impact on me and getting to work with them, which was always something I'll, I'll never forget. But my time there, listen, we can count on only a couple of fingers when there was some success on the ice. So totally get it, and I appreciate it. Milstein and Gluckstern, uh, Mike Milbury has talked about it at times at length, and so have others. They are, uh, in the case of Milstein, you know, fabulously wealthy family in New York. And that might have been the one before Charles Wong and certainly before Scott Malkin and Ledecky to think, well, this is the owner who could, you know, be our future Steve Cohen, like somebody to put us on a level playing field because the money was there. But then when they didn't get their arena deal with Tom Galata, the Nassau County executive, and the Nassau County executive started criticizing them, saying that they didn't want to own a hockey team, that they were really in it just for real estate development. They It was carry at the prom for Milstein, and he decided he was not going to sink a dollar into this team uh, if he didn't have to. There were no minimums with the league at the time, which is incredible to believe because it wasn't that long ago. Yes, it was 25 years or so ago. And our payroll got brought down to under 15 million for 23 players, let's say. But it is true. I saw it, not just on the napkin, but then in other uh, written out and more formal things where Milbury was asked to present to them what the roster would look like or could he make it work with not only payrolls of 15, but also 10 and also five. Now, I don't know how it would even be possible to have a payroll of only $5 million right. all in when players at the time were, some players were making more than $5 million a year. And even with getting to 15, which, oh, thank you, thank you, Mr. Milstein, was the <laughs> highest number, 
we tr- we got rid of everybody. We gutted everybody. And uh, so what I'll remember about that time especially is that there was one stretch around the playoff trade deadline where we were on a trip to Western Canada. But one night in particular where I was in Calgary, decided I got to get out of my room and, and get a bite to eat and went to the place at the time where that our players favored called Joey Tomatoes in Calgary. I think it was called Joey Tomatoes. It's, not, it's called something different now. And I wound up getting contacted by Mike, who then asked me to uh, tap some guys on the shoulder to have them call them. And Robert Reichel, I believe we mentioned recently on the show about his, his gold medal moment, and he was a personal favorite of mine. I love that guy. And he saw me walk up to the table, and he's like, not me, not me, Chris, where am I going? And, you know, some of the, you know, even then, there were guys who didn't want to be traded. There were some. Right? It had nothing to do with Long Island. Right? It was just that things were so bad, and it was so obvious what they wanted to do. Oh, yeah. So their focus, Lou, was, you know, am I going to go to a contender? Am I going to go to a better team? Uh, so it was, it was, it's funny, like trying to rank the worst moments, Spano being obvious, Sanjay Kumar getting arrested, and, and him not being the real deal, though thankfully Charles came around. Um Everything that everything that happened with the franchise, that that was right up there because I think people almost tend to forget about Milstein and Gluckstern because they think of the Gang of Four because of the Fishermen. They think of John Spano because there's you know there's a documentary done about him, and then Charles and the Coliseum. In a way, they kind of fallen through the cracks for uh, in the big picture, but that was a heartbreaking one because we thought this was real wealth owning the team, and it was. They just decided when they couldn't get what they wanted from Long Island, they were going to give up. To Charles Wong's credit, he didn't give up. I know there's plenty of criticism there, and some of it's justified, but he made the thing work. So um, I'll never have anything uh, bad to say about the the late and uh, really kind and generous Charles Wong. I still have to look for that T-shirt that they created. I'm telling you, I mentioned it on this podcast once before. There were two T-shirts. I told you they had the four Stanley Cup banners and then a blank a blank rectangle. It says, you know, number five coming soon or just says coming soon. And then there was another T-shirt. It was a plain white T-shirt with, you know, like, you know, Times New Roman font with an Islander logo smack in the back right where the shoulders are. And, or, we, you know, where your shoulder blades or whatever in the middle of the neck area, back area. And then it had an Islander's like definition. And I keep looking for it, and I can't find it. And I'm wondering if I still have one at my parents' home or what have you. But it was one of those T-shirts that were made or shirts that were made. And it was kind of like, you know, putting the rest of the league on notice. Like, hey, things are different now. The Islanders wow. are under new you know, new ownership, and uh, we don't have to tolerate this and that and this and that. I don't know. I have to. I have. I'm telling you, if I find it, I'm going to send it to you, and I want you to. I want you to like tweet about it or something because I'm telling you, these things did exist. Anyway, I, I actually got a little side story. It has nothing to do with any of that, but okay. it has to do with a T-shirt. When Lauren Henning was named head coach, it was one of those things where like the staff really felt good about, right? Because as you know, we've talked about this. Lauren is a is a the, the gentleman among gentlemen yeah. to this day is working for Seattle Kraken. I uh, was in touch with him after the passing of Clark Gillies, uh, of, of Clark Gillies. 
He uh, came back a few times as an assistant. So when he was named head coach, it was like, you know, regardless of whether you're quality of a coach or all that, you're just personally happy. So one, you always look for like little extra touches when you have a press conference. And one of the things that one of my colleagues did was, well, let's just have a, a T-shirt that'll just be the Islanders logo. And it was something like Lauren Henning, head coach, and the date on it. And I'm telling you, Lou, like only no more than 50 of these were made. And I would say right. like, you know, probably even a lot less than that. We didn't give them the media. Like it was just a really just like a, a small group. Uh, and Lauren's family, of course, got them and all that. And later on that year, my house in Rockville Center uh, was robbed. And I'm sorry to laugh. Like, I, I get laughed now. It was painful at the time. My wife and I were both out at work. We came back to see the TV gone and different things gone and some stuff from like our bedroom. And I I loved that shirt. It was just a crisp white shirt and had my friend's name on it. And I wore it a lot. And that for some reason, that was stolen uh, among the ties and other stuff, most of my clothes. <laughs> and then months later... I'm in town on a walk with my wife, Catherine, long walk, and somebody else in town has a, um, uh, a, a garage sale, and they have all their stuff out. And you can oh, see where no. this is going, right? And there's clothes there. And I see a Lauren Henning hired, a head coach, the date. It's the, sh it's, the, it's the shirt. Now, I don't know if it's my shirt, of course. And... What I like to think somebody in Rockville Center, like my house, doesn't kind of add up in a way, but it freaked me the fuck out because, <laughs> like, nobody has these shirts. It is right. such a small list, and to think that I don't have any more, and yet one of these 20, 30, 40, 50 tops shirts is available, it, like, was on my mind for the entire – I don't think I slept that night just trying to figure <laughs> out how that shirt wound up there. Could have just been somebody who was friends with somebody and had nothing to do with my robbery, but it bothered me. So talk about a story that has nothing to do with anything that we were asked about, but I'm just throwing it in there. But yet it has everything to do with what we were talking about. In a way, right? It's the about, We're talking the... about Gluckstern. We're talking about Milstein. We're talking about Spano. So there's a lot of, you know, criminal activity and some, you know, not so niceness. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and, a, and a T-shirt, right? Not so much but, niceness, but, right? Right, but how it, how a, how a T-shirt, which probably right. cost us, you know, a dollar to make, came to like symbolize something for me, and I was really sad when it was gone. I'm I'm telling you, I'm begging, I'm pleading with the Islander fans that listen to this. Somebody out there, please confirm that I'm not crazy. Confirm that there was a definition of an Islanders fan style t-shirt that the Gluckstern and Milstein regime put together as a way to rally the fan base. And there was some mention of not having to hear foul language from a Ranger fan or something mm. like that. Yeah, no, that, that, to that totally rings a bell. No, I, I'm with you. Yeah. I remember, I remember David Selden, who was their team president, who was like a considered a rising star at the time from the Jacksonville mm -hmm. Jaguars, uh, where he was president um, holding all these fan forums and thinking that he could speak to the fans and win them right. over no matter what. And boy, none of those went well. I remember they used to have those town hall meetings too every yeah. once in a while. A couple the of them fans. were in a tent in the parking lot or something. They were in like a that. tent in a parking lot, but I do remember, God, was it like the Blue Line Bar and Grill or something mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. in the Coliseum mm -hmm. when you went down the escalators? It was over to the right. 
And man, I remember some of those things just just getting ugly because the fans just had enough. They think about like, owners, and, and you see this all the time. Everybody makes the same mistakes. Stephen Cohen did it when he bought the Mets, and he's on Twitter. There's sure. a feeling that you think, I get it too, right? There's a feeling that if you make yourself accessible, that you're always going to kind of have the answers, and that you're going to win over all fans because you're going to be honest with them and it just doesn't matter. And what everybody who's joined Twitter in that, at that higher level always winds up coming off at some point and then, oh, yeah. and then changing their approach to it. But sure. You know, oh, let's have, if we make ourselves available, it all sounds good until a whole bunch of people are yelling at you. Right. Sure. And, and, and it doesn't feel good. And no matter how bleep and smooth you might think you are as a sports executive or even how smooth I might think I am as somebody who's up at a podium before a thing, they, it, it, you can get rattled really easily in certain moments. Go ahead to our next one. Everybody. All right. So our next one, this is a little bit more of a uplifting and a really positive story rather than talking about the dark ages of the New York Islanders and what their fan base has endured. So you've also worked five years in the NWHL. What was that experience like and uh, what does the future hold for women's pro hockey? I say it all the time, uh, mostly you know, uh, privately to friends when it comes up. My five years in the National Women's Hockey League, I loved, I was cherished, I was blessed, excuse me, to work for the Islanders for as long as I did. And I put my five years in the NWHL uh, and at an equal level, I love the players of the league, the 120 or so players of the league, the staffers, the volunteers, everybody uh, who tried to make it work and, and, and made it work. And, and in a lot of cases made gigantic steps against insurmountable or seemingly insurmountable challenges. Women's hockey has a long way to go. There will be more to come in that space. There will be a new league started. Uh, I believe that'll begin play in December or January. It will be announced months in advance. That'll feature a lot of the players from the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association, the PWHPA. That uh, consists of a lot of the Olympians and the top national team players, too. I'm excited to see what happens there. I know they have a lot of energy, spirit, sponsorship, money behind it as well. And uh, I'm just rooting for women's professional hockey it, there's something there. Um, what that all is going to look like is for, for at a higher level, at an ownership level, a commissioner level, is for greater minds than mine. But I'm really excited about the next step. I do think that over time, as everybody learns, fumbles, stumbles, has their triumphs, I believe you could get it to a place where it is hockey's version of the WNBA and maybe even more, uh, and, and have some success. And nobody is rooting for it more than I am, or as much as I am, I should say. And, you know, I, I'm happy to, uh, I welcome the opportunity to help out as a volunteer or in any other way from the lessons that I learned at the NWHL uh, for any future initiatives. But I'm excited for it, and I know there's a lot more to come in the space. I think the great thing about, you know, the NWHL and and what you see in 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 other women's sports like, you know, soccer, the game really doesn't change much because of the the gender of the participants. Mm -hmm. Where when you look at the WNBA, it's popular amongst females 
But I think there's a certain aspect of that game that it's not played above the rim the way the guys do it. And I think there are some people that discount it because of that. Mm-hmm. And I think On the other hand, I actually like it because of that. I, I, I like it because when you watch the NCAA tournament that the women play, whether it's hockey, whether it's basketball, whether it's volleyball, it's like you could see the, the skill is there. Mm-hmm. The want, the will, the will to win, the drive, the competition—it's all there. It's a different. But game. with hockey, right? But with hockey, I think obviously there's no checking. If you watch the Olympics, there's really no checking. I don't know the official rules of the mm-hmm. W, you know, the NWHL or what this new league is going to allow. But the game is still the same: puck possession, passing, accuracy on your shot, playing good defense, being able to clear the crease. It, it may not have the power of some of the other things that the guys can do on, on, you know, in their league, but the game is still the same. The action is incredible. The, the women's national teams for both Canada and the United States, once they start getting more competition, and I think you're starting to see that from some of the other European teams, but once they start getting more competition and the play kind of evens out, I think those tournaments are going to be gold for whoever's watching them, for whoever's involved in them financially and I think it's the same thing when you look at Olympic soccer or World Cup soccer or World Cup basketball or World Cup, you know, volleyball or, or Olympic volleyball. Mm-hmm. The games are the same. Yes, there's women playing. Yes, there's men playing in there. But the games are the same. And I, and I really think that hockey has the opportunity to really embrace this. I like what they do by bringing in some of the female players to participate in All-Star Weekend. I think that's very smart. I know the NBA does the same during All-Star Weekend. They bring in some WNBA players and mix and match them in some skills competitions with the men. And I think that's the only way you're going to grow the sport. You're going to grow it by inclusion and by having everybody join and see in prime time, wow, look at Kendall Coyne. Look at what she can do. Yeah, if it has the like, if it has the know. support that all the men's league do, right? Like, think about yeah. it, if it did, and I get it that it's a giant hypothetical. But if you mm-hmm. had the broadcast time, the money behind sure. it appropriately, you have to to earn mm-hmm. it as well too. But but uh, the oh the gaming and the gambling money behind it, and the ability <laughs> to bet on the games, and if it was on somewhat of an equal playing field, I agree with you. The skill is uh, is just awesome, and uh, I'm just a huge fan, and I'm really yeah. really excited to. To see what happens over the next year. So I think there's going to be some big changes and I, I wish all sides uh, luck. The new venture will be the PWHPA's league and whatever they brand it as. And I'm really excited to see that. What else we got? All righty. Well, let's go to a, uh, a personal moment in your history because um, the next question comes from me. And I was just curious because as somebody who's a member of the media and the goal of that to cover your team is to get a credential, you worked for the Islanders for years. Then when you were no longer working for the Islanders, you started Islanders Point Blank. You had a media credential going to the game to cover the team, giving Islander fans honest and true coverage of their team. And then all of a sudden, one day, Garth Snow decides that he's going to pull your credential. What happened there? Um, sure. I welcome the question. I haven't talked about it uh, at length uh, yet, and I know it's been a long time. So, but this is what right. this show is. The credential was pulled the day after Scott Gordon was fired as head coach. So the Scott Gordon era was uh, not pretty. It was it was a new era. I'm no longer working there, but I am covering the team for a blog that was started and created by 
Islanders uh, by Charles Wong's son-in-law, Chris Day, who's the team president. And it was his idea to have me do this and forever indebted to him. And listen, when the team is bad, you know, it doesn't have a chance out of it by Thanksgiving. There's never anything, you know, good to come out of it. The day that Gordon was fired, because a lot of people, very few people, excuse me, were not covering the team, when NHL Network and the local t- uh, radio stations, including FAN, wanted somebody to talk about the team, they asked me to do it. I probably did six to eight spots that day, right? Which is what would be normal of yeah. a major Yankee beat writer on a day of a big trade or signing or something sure. like that. And, you know, between either what I wrote, which was often loss after loss, they were in the midst of something like a 10 game losing streak. And then going on <laughs> again, and yeah, and then go, and they were actually, I think they were at the end of a 10 game losing streak. They had lost 10 in a row at that time or something like that. And uh, the last game I remember was against LA on a Saturday against the Coliseum. And now I'm doing all these shows and it's not pretty. I mean, like I'm, I'm saying Scott Gordon, I don't think was a good head coach. I think that's been proven out for the long haul as a, as an NHL head coach. And um, but I'm also saying, but let's not lose sight of Charles Wong, the owner, or Garth Snow, the general manager. They haven't done their jobs. They haven't gotten them the players. And you could change the coach all you want, but until they do. So that next morning, I got the call from uh, Islanders PR saying, uh, I hate to break it to you, but uh, Garth has made this decision. Now, that didn't change. I think the perception of a lot of people, maybe even including some people at the Islanders like Snow, like I think they thought that that would be like the end of me writing or that that would be some sort of like major blow <laughs> to me. And that's that was where I would just That'll say, show them. Yeah. Like I would just say that was like maybe the miscalculation that perhaps we should have talked about it. Like we should, you know, perhaps if I could have done it all again, I said, well, why don't we talk about this? Um, because maybe we can reach some sort of a conclusion or you could tell me what it is you don't like. But and I was, I'm embarrassed all these years later that when, like, if I'm Googled, it's like what comes up to this day. And, uh-huh. um, it just, it, it kind of became like a cause, right? The, uh, the writers association protested not for me, but also for themselves because they wouldn't want that happening to them. And it was also at a time where a blogger versus newspaper writer, you know, um, I, I remember a lot of the other NHL teams were very much in our, my corner saying, well, one thing we want to do here is figure out what is a blogger or what is a website writer versus our regular newspaper 10, 12 years ago, beat writer. Yeah. So it was a very complicated thing that, if anything, it actually made my stuff for another year or so even more popular. I didn't change my style. I think I was fair. Um, I remember we would have events at like the bar across the street from the, the Wayne Corbett. I was a part owner, part owner of across the street from the Coliseum. I would do events there for road games and the fans were just so awesome. They just talk about the passion Islander fans. The team's not good and, and they're just loud and proud and supportive and I'll, I'm forever indebted for that. And it really didn't change my world. It's just kind of an embarrassing pissing contest, uh, between two guys who should know better or be more grown up about it. And it, um, it never, I never thought it would get healed because the decision was already made. 
and it didn't change anything for me. I just continued to write. The only difference was I didn't like have to go to Plainview to Islanders Iceworks to write features of which most of them were kind of puff pieces. So do I wish it never happened? Oh gosh, absolutely. I wish it never happened. Uh, but in a lot of ways, uh, once the dust settled, it was much ado, uh, much ado about nothing for me on a personal or a professional level. In some crazy way, it actually helped me because more people heard about me and like whether that's why I got some job offers and and continued to do well. Uh, thankfully, it's possible. Uh, so it, it was a helpful thing that I wish never happened. Did you ever get that opportunity to like sit down with Garth and get to the bottom of it and bury the hatchet or at least hash it out or scream at each other? So here, here's the, the crazy thing that happened was about, and we've never talked about this, but I want to say like about five days after it was announced and written about, and I did a couple of interviews, I got, I got an email from Garth who I had a hot and cold relationship with as a when he was the backup goalie on the team, when he was a starter, or when Ricky was hurt and others were hurt and did well for the team, by the way. And also when he was, so I was the PR director when he first became the general manager. And I believe, you know, he was very helpful to me. We were kind of in it together. He was the first year GM who had just been our goalie. So I think I was helpful to him, but he was also good to me. We got along great. Uh, well, actually, both years, I guess I was there when he was general manager. But there was always uh, Adrian Acoin actually said on this show, and he's a friend of Garth's, that Garth has this very cutting personality. And that could be very funny. Great guy to have as your friend. But he could also cross the line into you. Know, we all have friends like that, right? Who just get a little, you know, so. It reminds I got me of the line from the movie Hot Tub Time Machine. You know how everybody has that one asshole? Well, he's our asshole. <laughs> yeah, it just he just kind of like, is he kidding? I, I think that's what Adrian right. said. He's like, you know, Snowy would say something that would just make you that, that hurt. and But then you would think, is he kidding? Well, no, he actually might not be. So, you know, yeah. I have my uh, off beat stuff uh, that I'm sure people don't appreciate that I try to work out and Garth is too. And so that, that would lead to moments with me and my staff. So it wasn't like if it was other people it would have been surprising, but it wouldn't be a surprise. It was Garth. Uh, I want to say about three or five days after it all happened and things started to settle down. I got an email from Garth saying that he'd be willing to talk about uh, the ban and lifting it. Uh, if we met and had a conversation, you know, kind of to his satisfaction, uh, and would I welcome that? And I said that, uh, well, of course, it would be great to see you, and let's. It would just be nice to just talk it over, so I could learn more about what's behind it, or if you have any questions, or if there's some things that either you think happened that didn't happen. Billy Jaffe talked openly on a show that we did of Hockey Press Pass where he said he never got mm -hmm. an answer as to why and go back and listen to that to the listeners, but he never got that. So Garth kind of, he's offering me this. So of course I'm going to say yes, right? But when I went, so we wind up meeting at the Starbucks literally right across the street from the Coliseum. It wasn't like we went to some <laughs> private area or something like that. God. That was his spot. He, he chose it. And, oh, and God, we, really? Yeah. Let's do this in open. Let's do this out in the open. Yeah. yeah and, and in that oh. small little world, right? Like, you know. So oh. um, we talked probably for about an hour. 
what I, I remember thinking about it um, and still like, you know, when I'm asked about it, like personally over a beer or whatever, I would say like at least half of it, we wound up going down fun rabbit holes of talking about this guy and this moment and this thing and Charles and staffers that I had and, and laughs wow. that we had and things like that. Again, incredibly enjoyable guy to hang out with. I believe he's still in the area uh, a lot of times with his family. Uh, but when it came down to talking about the issue at hand, it was very much kind of like, um, I would say to him, what it, what is it? What is the issue other than the fact that I'm writing that you've lost? And like, you know, was there a line that was crossed? And Richard Sandomir wrote in the Times, he found, you know, he wrote, he took something that I wrote that was critical. And he said, well, maybe, you know, he wasn't defending the others, but he was saying, here was one thing bought a road after their eight straight loss. And, and, you know, but it wasn't anything personal or nasty or unfair or anything like that. And uh, I remember Garth saying, like, when he, he, he said that he, there was some sort of, like, folder on me. <laughs> like, I guess at some point he had staff, like, <laughs> line up anything that I wrote that was wrong or over the line or whatever. And when I asked him for examples of that, um, the only one that he had that I was like, oh, all right, it sounds like I got that wrong was that like it was something to do with like the long term LTIR long term injured reserve or a salary cap thing and Kyle Oposo or something like that and it was like well you know you wrote this thing that said we would have had more money by doing this whatever and honestly I I do remember vividly just being like oh man it sounds like I fucked that up you know damn sorry about that but it, but you know I don't mean that you know I, I aim for accuracy. But like that was it, and because I don't think that's like a fatal error, and that certainly wouldn't be any reason to, you know. It was just like it sounded like an excuse. It sounded like just like another thing oh, to add. You so, think? Yeah. So, um, oh. look, it was. I appreciated the opportunity to meet him and to talk and to hear him out. But about I want to say forty-five minutes to that hour into it, I realized that my take on this, my opinion, is that. What he wanted was for me to go and just be like, whatever it takes, whatever I got to do, whatever you want me to change, you know, and that's his, you know, that's his prerogative to, but I think he wanted me to just kind of fall on my sword and kind of ask, you know, say that I'm his now and whatever, and that I'm not yeah, going to kiss do. the ring, beg for I forgiveness think, think, and you're back. Yeah, like, I think so. And they're just like, I couldn't do that. Like, they're just good for you for not doing it. Well, it's just also. Like there wasn't any career reason, financial reason, um, personal reason, um, journalistic reason to do any of that because I was continuing to write. And my again, if anything, they took, they gave me hours. Of, they Garth gave me hours of my day back. So, um, so there just wasn't any reason to. So when I realized that that's what it seemed like, uh, <laughs> and, and I just said, "Hey, it was really great seeing you. I appreciate it." Um, I think I said, what happens next? And he said, so I'm like, well, I'm going to, I got, I got, I got some things to think about as if like, you know, I might hear from him or PR about whether I'd be sign a free agent. Stop reprimanding bottom. <laughs> and, um, sign well, a free agent, dude. Pick a right. trade. Yeah. And I remember just driving home saying, uh, and, you know, like, my wife, Catherine, you know, probably asked me and I was like, no, I, this isn't, this isn't healing. This isn't, I'm not getting my credential back, nor do I want it back. Again, that's just my take that I think he wanted me to just, 
kind of bow and say uh, whatever you, whatever he needs. And he he probably had a good reason for thinking that, that that I really needed the credential, but I didn't. And so that's all. It's it's embarrassing. I've now said it all these years later as to what you know. Again, just my side of the story. I'm sure there's 37 sides to the story, but it just uh, it's it's something that I wish never happened. And sure. now, now I've talked about it, and I, I am glad that we got to see each other. Because honestly, I do. It was a reminder of uh, how he made me crack up at times, and and good stuff. And uh, and then that was it. I wound up writing at the last part. I think fans might wonder. His last season, the team was garbage. The, they gave up 297 goals or something crazy about that. And I was writing for SNY, and I absolutely, in those final months, wrote. I don't know, 49 pieces, 17 pieces. I, I wrote a lot that change needed to come to the team. And then after the season was over and they had their breakup day and Garth had a press conference, which made it sound like Dougie Waite was going to come back as his coach and that Garth was safe. But then Garth started saying all these nutty things about how he inherited 12 years earlier from Millbury, this bad team, and, and he was all defensive. And you could tell there was a shift after that press conference. And I remember thinking, oh, no, they're going to this change that me and others were writing about that needed to happen at the leadership level was going to happen. So, yeah, I I did write those things. Uh, I got a couple of accusations that they were at times overly personal. Um, I just I wrote from the heart what I thought was right. Uh, I, I I fully acknowledge, of course, a fact is a fact. And congratulations to him and his staff. They have every they should be watching Pelic and Pulak and and Barzal and, and all these players who have gone on to be good Islanders and lead them success. And they they get all the credit for bringing them oh, into yeah. the organization. And they yeah. should be uh, just. Uh, I'm sure they are proud of that, and they have a piece of it. And if they win a Stanley Cup, no, it doesn't work that way where people get rings, but they will be mentioned just like I remember Brian. I remember Brian Burke mentioning the Anaheim GMs before him who got the players that helped win the Ducks their Stanley Cup. You know, that's all mm-hmm. part of life. So the move to Lou Lamorella or to anyone would have been the right one, but the move to the professionalism and leadership that Lamorello brings was a difference maker at the moment. Time will tell in the end, uh, you know, how it plays out. But that's that is my side to that story, and uh, that's it. I just, I just, I just have to say though, Go ahead. just hearing that, remembering it going down. I was working for Sirius XM at the time. I was doing the Pharrell show, I believe, and when all of this stuff, you know, was going on and. You know, we, we kept tabs on it and, you know, it, it makes me laugh because it is such, and this, I don't mean the dynasty years, this is such an Islander thing to do. Mm-hmm. Let's strip this guy of his media credentials so he can't cover the team anymore. And it only made you more popular and more in demand for people to want to know what happened. It's like, we're going to shut this guy up. No, actually, you just made him stronger by bringing the attention to it. And I was by and doing I, something so stupid. Yeah, and no, I appreciate you saying that. And when I was informed, I did uh, tell the person who called me, I just said, you know, I'm not looking to beg off of this or to say let's you know let's what what do you need from me it wasn't like that i just said i think this is a mistake for you guys it wasn't like when i was the pr director we didn't have writers who we wanted to 
handle, right? Not sure. make Millbury available to it. You know, Larry Brooks, let's just sorry. Remember Larry Brooks who write columns, you know, saying Mike Millbury should be fired on his on his Sunday column. And to, to Brooksy's credit, he would be like, Chris, I get it. When I write a column saying somebody should not have this job anymore, I understand he's probably not going to want to talk to me anymore. Right. I do expect a certain level of professionalism in scrums and in general availabilities and, and to not be locked out of that. And we didn't. That's just one example. But, um, you know, of course we had things like that all the time. But to actually go to the lanes – but I will get it. Like it is, it's a this this goes beyond that a little bit because I'm a dude who used to work for the team and used to work with and for him. So maybe it, it like it cut differently, and and so I totally get all that. Um, I would hear from people or prima donna about it, all that. Like I like I'll just say across the board, whatever you think, guilty as charged about all right. of it. I didn't ask for it. Um, I'm, I will never have any regrets uh, for Chris Day's offer to start Islanders Point Blank and them getting me started on that and then me making it my own and then running it myself for a couple of years. It was an incredible opportunity with just a really, really stupid ending. And now I'll never, I'll, I'll you know, it'll be the one time I talk about it. Just like Jaffe had his thing on my show. He said I never talked about what I went through. Uh, when I didn't get renewed by the Islanders on this much, much smaller thing that just is not important as we're here to talk hockey. This is this was my side of the story. So I appreciate everybody who's asked and I appreciate you bringing it up. No problem. Let's move on to some uh, yeah. happier thoughts. Yeah. OK, we have two we have two more questions okay. to go from our fan submission. So someone wants to know, what is your best Coliseum moment? You know, the moments that, um, you know, of course, you know, we talked about Batesy's goal and in, in, in the 92 93 series. Um, but the stuff in Paris is night because I'm such a music geek and fan uh, for certain people, of course, we all have our favorites. There, there were there would be times where we would have a kind of a combination of big games and then a concert the next night or the next night before. And as much as like when you work for a team and everybody goes through this, like, or even in an office, right? You'd like to be somewhere else. Like some, some ways, like the last thing you want to do is be back in that building, even for a concert. But there would be like, you know, I was, I was going like double headers where we'd have, I remember in the, in the middle of one playoff series, Paul McCartney played the Coliseum, uh, 20 years ago or so. So I'm thinking this is like early 2000s and one of those teams. And like we had a game and it was loud and it was great and it was fun. And then the next night, uh, because it was probably booked six or eight months earlier, Paul McCartney played and he had some crazy scene with like marching bands on the floor uh, seat by the floor seats huh. before he went on the stage. And, and, you know, it would be like those moments. It's a personal question. Favorite moments? Well, it's that combination of, Wow, like how fortunate am I, right? As much as I whined about the two times, I was like really bummed about the the long what appeared to be the long term negative future of the team. You just have these moments where it'd be like, wow, like who for a kid from Long Island, who has it better that I you, know, you paid for your concert tickets? You know, we usually got like house seats and good seats, or Charles was kind enough to have us in a suite, or previous owners or whatever. But um, like what a it, it was always to answer your question. It was always that combination of a, a fun hockey time with some winning, 
or a playoff game. And then, you know, I think of Paul McCartney. I'm not even a huge Garth Brooks fan, but I just remember him coming. The Grateful Dead. Billy Joel, of course, uh, being you know, a Hicksville guy that I grew up in. Bruce Springsteen, who is my favorite, like a lot of sports writers of a, of a certain age. Um, it was always that. And uh, really, really, really lucky times. That is awesome. I was thinking about mine. Mm -hmm. and, yes, please. You know, obviously being at both Ferraro overtime goals in the Capital Series in 92-93, sitting behind the net, each net, each different night on opposite ends of the Coliseum, which was kind of very lucky to be able to say, like, I had seats in Section 314, and then I had seats in this Section 334 or whatever it was, and being right behind the net when he scored both of them, that was pretty intense. Um, but, you know, I'll go back to my first ever in-person New York Islander game, and that was on November 16th, 1985. And I was very lucky to see the Edmonton Oilers take on the New York Islanders. And I'm just going to read you the scoring summary quickly. The goal scorers in that game, Patty LaFontaine, Wayne Gretzky, Brian Trottier, Dwayne Sutter, Don Jackson, Mike Bossy, Lee Fogelin, Mike Krushelniski. Not to mention Kevin Lowe, John Tonelli, Ken Morrow, Glenn Anderson, Mark Messier, Pat Flatley, Stefan Pearson, Yari Kari. I mean, you talk about a heavyweight lineup on both sides to be able to say that that was the first hockey game you ever saw in person. It always goes back to number one. So that's the first, that's that's my favorite Coliseum moment because anybody could say, oh, it was a playoff game or it was this or it was that. But for me, the first time seeing the ice on TV, seeing the speed of the game, and then just knowing all of those names that were in it or on the ice at that time, it was just, it was unbelievable. So we have one more question. Do you have to get a Yeah, uh, a I'm going to get a couple of quick reads in here to our friends at HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Go to HelloFresh.com slash PressPass16 and use code PressPass16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasoned recipes delivered, seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. My family and I, we do the fit and wholesome meals. They've been fantastic. It saves us a lot of time spending the kitchen, meals ready in around 30 minutes or less, and it's 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal of the same quality. So go to HelloFresh.com slash PressPass16 and use code PressPass16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Press Pass 16 for HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. And also our thanks to the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village on Long Island's North Shore. Games for sale and games for food. Food uh, game, <laughs> Games for sale and games for play. Food and drink, beer and wine, fun and friends. You would think, right, I'd have this down by now, right, guys? Bring the magic. <laughs> Any place you get, anytime you can play games and win food, I'm in. <laughs> exactly. No, you can't do that there. You Bring, can't do that there. Let's let everybody know that. No, it's okay. They've been incredible uh, supporters. They joined us midseason, uh, listened to the show, big fans, and said, you know, we want to support and uh, let's bring some people there. And, and maybe in future seasons, we'll try to figure out a way to do a show there. Uh, they say bring the magic of phones down, eyes up, tabletop board games to your family. Their staff 
will help you find the right board game for you. From card and party games to games for family to strategy games, they have it all. Located at 307 Main Street in Huntington Village. Go to MainStreetBoardGameCafe.com for more information. Main Street Board Game Cafe. Find your crowd. Unplug your game. Also, big thanks to Instat Hockey, who was our first sponsor, who was there with us from the very, very beginning. Uh, incredible data company for hockey has been a huge help for our show. So thanks to all of our sponsors all season. What do we have last but not least? All right. So the last question here we got from Twitter. If you could, if you could construct a list of your personal favorite Islanders teams, who are, I'm sorry, let me try that again. (laughs) If you could construct your personal favorite Islander team, who are you putting on the ice? And this means that they were great guys, really easy to deal with, solid, ho- solid hockey players, and understood what being a professional is. You don't have to go position by position, but if you can go from your tenure, late 80s to mid 90s and early 2000s, go in that order. So starting with the mid 80s, who are your favorites to uh, deal with? Then the mid 90s and then the early 2000s, and we'll leave it at that. All right. Well, let, I mean, let's talk about it and we'll go back and forth a little bit because I don't want to go on and on. One theme of this show, and I asked Kevin Kurz about it too in our last hockey press pass, we're just about remembering the people who were especially gracious with you, just like I had flyers who were great to a LaSalle University intern back in 1986-87. When I started the Islanders, I've mentioned this before, Bob Basson and Steve Conroy were the two first guys to be just complete gentlemen to go out of their way to welcome me. I'm a young employee and just turned 21 at the time and to i will always out there on my personal mount rushmore because when you walk into a room for the first time oh by the way a room that still has a whole bunch of legends in it and to have two players as kind and gracious as them you just never ever forget it uh kelly rudy certainly was was fantastic and so many other players were too um, as time starts to go on and you look at the team that formed by the way, Pat LaFontaine is, is an angel. Like I, I mean, there's no, you know, people probably, maybe you're even tired of hearing that, but this is, this is a, this will be maybe the seventh time I call something the nicest person on the face of the earth, but he <laughs> just, he really is like he, he never mind what he did for a living, his success, his status as a hall of famer. He's just like if you ran into him and didn't know who he was, you'd come away saying, "What an what an unbelievably good person that is." So I can't forget Patty and many many others. The ninety ninety the nineteen ninety two ninety three team was a gold mine for people who do what I do because Steve Thomas was so great with the press. In addition to being a, a blast to watch on the ice, and Ray Ferraro and Tom Curvers. And Glenn Healy, you know, again, a lot of broadcasters and future executives came, came from that group. And all of them, Benoit Hogue, um, you know, my, my theory on these, I knew there was going to be a question like this. And my thing was, instead of like prepping for it, I would actually just like, who are the names that, that come to my mind? Of course, that means I'm going to leave out people, but they were they were all great too. I would say before we get to the late 90s early 2000s or so uh who were your who who like well, let me say this who are your two or three favorite islanders period you know 
I guess from watching games on Sports Channel back in the day, I've always had the affinity and the admiration and love for Patrick Flatley and Glenn Healy from doing the Heels and Flat yeah. show. Um, something that Kevin Meininger, who I work for at MSG Networks mm-hmm. uh, in the freelance capacity, uh, created. And Kevin and I have had many conversations in his office just about putting that together and what did he see? And he saw everything that you saw, just two guys who loved each other, but just loved making fun of each other and just had a great, you know, Abbott and Costello or Laurel and Hardy type of relationship where they just fed off of each other's energy and just their humor and and how they got it. Um, the, the other guy that I really liked, and I met him numerous times at season ticket holder events, but also later on when they had a party or a celebration of that 92-93 team, Mick Vakoda was mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Always, Mickey was always awesome. And I remember meeting him so, it it was weird because I remember meeting him after a game against the Hartford Whalers where he and Stu Grimson just pummeled each Mm. other. And then they walk out together. And I'm in my head, I'm going, oh my God, like these two guys are just, and you don't, because you don't realize that it's a job. You think that Mick Vakota hates Stu Grimson, Stu Grimson hates Mick Vakota, but then it's like, no, they're, they're friends and enforcers have that click and that, that, um, you know that that fraternity that that they're in, mm-hmm. and they were they were buddies just doing their job. And when the game was over, so was the feud, and, and and it was just a lot of fun. Another guy that jumps to mind is Steve Thomas and Benoit Hogue, their relationship. And I remember another season ticket holder event where they were talking to each other but using walkie talkies. And Steve Thomas kept going, "Big nose, come in, big nose." <laughs> and he was talking to and he was talking to Benny about it, or he was he was trying to get Benny's attention. And it, like th- those that team was just so much fun and they 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 were maybe not the skill level of the dynasty or the names and the winning of the dynasty but that team just came together 92 93 that they were family that you saw it and you saw it in the post game conversations you saw it in the post game interviews i remember when ray ferraro scored one of his two overtime winners and then Jiggs McDonald opens up the interview by saying, are you going to give that goal to Brian Mullen? And Ray, Ray without even thinking about it, goes, he could have it. <laughs> Let him have Absolutely. it. You know, we won. Who cares? But it was just, you know, that that team was like, it was almost like watching my big brothers. And I don't have any brothers, but it's I, I, that feeling of like, they were my big brothers. You know, I'm 15 or 16. Terz is 24. You know what I mean? It was 25. You know, like he was like my 10-year-old, younger, mm-hmm. uh, 10-year-older brother. And it was just insane. And when he got hurt in the playoff game, it was just like, I felt like family members were actually like getting hurt. And it was, you know, but I had so much love for that team. I really do. Kasparaitis, Darius Kasparaitis might still be one of my favorite hockey players to this day because of just what he did that rookie year. I also want to point out, I actually did just look at, I I found a mid nineties media guide uh, while you were talking and entertaining me with the, uh, the Hogue, uh, excuse me, the flats and heel show and Kevin Reiniger, uh, just a gift ahead of its time. And really, I don't know if there's been anything like it in terms of players on the current team. So Paul Bisson, that's the closest thing. Paul Bisson, that is the closest thing. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a a predecessor to that. Right. And then, um, so Rich Pilon, I also want to thank personally. And again, I'm going to kick myself for people that, that I don't name, but he was also just so nice when he first joined Chief the team great. and went out of his way uh, to have fun and to be uh, friendly uh, with me. It was great. Benoit Hogue, uh, since you brought it up and because Steve Thomas did say it uh, so that so many people can hear it, when Benoit Hogue arrived in the trade and I met him for the first time in the Coliseum hallway, 
he was working on his sticks and I introduced myself and I said hello and he was very sweet and he looked at me and he said, oh, I'm finally on a team where there's somebody with a nose bigger than mine. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, well, I'm glad I could uh, do that for you. So that is true. And that's one of those things you remember 30 years ago, like it was yesterday. Um, yeah. And then in the like, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, again, it wound up being kind of a happy accident of doing this show because I sought out to do a media show. Then we added Islanders Forecheck uh, when uh, fans asked for it, and it was a natural thing to to have that, that Islanders component. And then I was like, hey, well, why don't we add on like somebody who might be on my phone or I'm connected with via Twitter. So all those people, like, you know, just the, the grace of, of everybody that's come on, like Jamie Rivers and Eric Fischel and Jamie McLennan, and, and also yep. players who've done the hockey press pass like Ray and the announcers and all that. It's just, it just been a gift. Kevin Weeks is, is another example of somebody who, um, when he joined our team and I got to know him and saw like how charismatic he was and, uh, just how uh, great he was analytically. I would talk to him about the game. I would learn. I didn't know anything. Like everything, anything I learned was just from, listening or asking questions of guys on planes or on any on buses, whatever it might be. And I was Valley's like, like that too. Steve oh yeah. You knew like he, <laughs> another guy that I, Oh God, another guy that it's amazing. You learned so much from. Yeah. And uh, so weeks I was just like, Hey, whenever this is over for you, remember saying, and he, he brought it up before too. I was like, when this is ever over for you as a player, you could absolutely own a space uh, as a, analyst and media person and he did that pretty quickly early on with his work in AHL network and now he's got all the jobs now he's a famous uh, trade breaker and now he's with a league partner at ESPN so I'm just really proud of him everybody in yeah. that group on mm -hmm. the uh from the early 2000s even you know after that first year we never turned the corner there were some great teams in the league and just couldn't get out of the first round um, but that whole group, Scatchard, incredible, incredible guy, Adriana Coyne, Mark Parrish. So, you know, I've been, I was very lucky to uh, get to know these people and get to work with or under them in some cases in terms of their ac accessibility. They made a job that at times could be challenging, uh, especially during the tough spots. They made it fairly easy, and I'm forever grateful to them for that. Yeah, you know, and there were some guys during the dark years, you know, those 90s into, into the 2000s that, that not that I became friendly with, but when you would see them at the bar after the game, you know, because I, I very rarely dressed like an Islander fan as far as the jerseys and all that. I was always like, you know, because I was working for the radio station, so I was always in like a collared <laughs> shirt and, you know, slacks, dress pants, whatever. So, like, I would go to the bar after the game and, you know, guys like Ray Schultz, Warren Looning, you know, the lesser known guys that really lived at the Marriott, Dave Archibald, mm -hmm. you know, some of these other guys that that didn't get as much run uh, or or even remembered that much by Islander fans. But they were just like cool guys to just go sit in and have a beer with. You know, I remember the Islanders had a young Slovak kid named Yuri Kolnik who scored mm -hmm. his first two goals. I believe against the Florida Panthers. Well, I was at that game, you know, um, and met him after the game and you know we had some beers and just sat and talked hockey you know with his his broken english as best he could but he was just no one knew who he was and i did so i was like dude you want to just grab a couple of beers He's like yeah that'll be great you know so there was a night of a huge snowstorm i'll never forget this night i talked to this i talked about this with eric cairns not too long ago 
It's the night of a huge snowstorm, and I guess the WWE was coming to town. So all the Islander players. So now this is when Craig Janney, Craig Berube, they were all Islanders at mm-hmm. this point. They were like near the end of their career, and they were Islanders. Well, the big show walks in. And now Eric Cairns, if you ever shake hands with Eric Cairns, he grabs your hand. He's scratching your elbow because his hands are so big. You know, his hand, he had he had meat hooks like you wouldn't believe. Well, he goes to shake the hand of the big show, and, he, and his hand just dwarfs Cairns. And Cairns comes back to the table, and he's like, I have big hands. That guy just made my hands look small. You know, mm-hmm. there there were all there were so many fun things. Another guy that was great in those nineties, two thousand, late nineties, early two thousand years, Gino Ojic was one of the nicest guys that I ever dealt with. No, I, I ever I, another one. I, I could, uh, would have been kicking myself. So I'm glad you brought him up. Uh, we're still in touch, yeah, and G- uh, G- he he Gino meant Ojic, a lot to yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I look, I could run, you know, I could run the gamut of of different names of people who were fantastic. Eric Fischel, guest on this podcast, mm-hmm. great guy. Tommy Sallow, nice guy. You know, I think he got a bad rap, but, you know, he was a good Islander and, you know, fought hard every game. So there are so many others. And of course, you know, uh, Jamie Rivers might be the worst guy I have ever dealt with <laughs> in my life. I'm kidding because I love the Riv. Riv and I text each other all the time. But Riv, if you're listening, I love you. You know that. Good stuff. I appreciate you bringing up Gino Ojek. I remember bringing him to back when ESPN2 had their show, Kevin Weeks as well, too, at Butchergrass Hosting and and a lot of fun trips down to uh, down to Bristol, Connecticut, which like a lot of players, they might be like, oh, I can't be brought, I can't be going out there for, you know, five hours round trip and uh, classy. And they saw the joy and the importance of doing it. So I thank them for that, for this. Go ahead. And I was just going to say, I'd be remiss if I don't say Derek Armstrong. Army was one of my favorite Islanders. He was just blood and guts, hard, hard nails, hard as nails guy. And he played hard every night. And, and I, another one through, through my career, the trajectory of it, another guy that I'd be able to, I would be able to say a friend. And he's just one of those guys that just eats, sleeps and breathes hockey, but loved his time on the Island. Whenever I talk to him, he's always like, man, you know, I love playing in that building. <laughs> I love playing in that building. It was great. Yeah, he so went on had a really nice career. Uh, this yeah. was. Hockey Press Pass presented by Instat Hockey, Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village and by HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. My thanks to the fans for all the questions, for listening all season, to Lou Pellegrino, to Pat Boyle, to Danny Ryland Carney, to Cassandius Element, everybody who's contributed this season. Thanks for your time. We will see you soon on Hockey Press Pass.